I'm Jimmy Alexander, and welcome to Out with Jimmy, the podcast where members of the LGBTQ community share their coming out stories with you in the hopes that everyone knows if they're in the closet or out, they know they are not alone. I encourage you to go to uh, Apple Podcasts, click subscribe, and while you're there, Write a nice review. Click in uh, as many stars as you possibly can. It sure does help. This week, somebody who I am so happy is with us. It's Alan Thompson, and he's out with Jimmy. Hi, my name is Alan Thompson. I'm from Alexandria, Virginia. I uh, work for the federal government. I'm a gay man. My pronouns are he, him, and... Now, Alan, the reason why I'm so happy that you're here is you're one of my favorite people. And the reason I say that is you have been recognized for your volunteerism in our community. I'm trying to think an event that I've been to in D.C. for the LGBTQ community that you are not a part of somehow, and I can't think of one. You're there all the time. How much of your life is dedicated to volunteerism? Oh, as much as I can can certainly spare. I mean, I have a full-time job. Basically, pretty much the rest of my time is dedicated to being a volunteer. Okay, we're going to get back to that, but the first question I normally ask is, who was the first person you looked at and said, I'm gay? Hmm. I can't remember because that was probably during the 70s in New York City. And you had a drink or three maybe at the time, Alan? Well, it? it was before I stopped drinking. Okay, many okay. Many years ago. So how old were you when you came out? Oh, that's probably in, I want to say, my 30s. Was it hard? Not really, because I was surrounded by, you know, the West Village, uh, New York City, so it was pretty similar. Uh, What was interesting, though, is when I came down here after a number of years, because there was a huge gap in my life, and that was the gap uh, when a lot of people died of AIDS, and I came down here and I started working with the gay community here, I had to sort of relearn some terms because it was no longer just the gay community, it was the LGBTQ Mm-hmm. A plus. How old were you when you first thought you were gay? Probably when I was in grade school. And do you remember what triggered that? You know, images that I saw of other guys and said, "Gee, they're really uh, they're really good looking." Well, Alan, you waited till you were in your thirties to come out, right? And I I say that because I was in my thirties in a very different time where people were safe, right? More safe than they were, I should say, in the seventies. Were you dating women during that time before you came out? or? Oh, I had had a couple of dates, but they just, there was really, you know, they were very nice people, but there was nothing that really excited me, no emotional connections. What caused you finally to say, okay, I've had it, I'm coming out? Um, probably seeing other people around me. And I think that was the most important thing is to see other examples of people who seem to be relatively happy in, you know, at that time, you know, gay relationships, you know, call same sex today you mentioned that 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 gap in the time that you have been helping uh the community have you seen it get better i guess in their our understanding and a knowledge of hiv and aids sure i have absolutely um at the point in time where i was living around new york city uh, when you know carposi sarcoma first showed up and that was the gay cancer to today I mean, at that point in time, really nobody would ever, ever touch anybody. It was like a hugely infectious disease. Uh, and today, I have many, many friends who are HIV positive, and it's not that I even, it's not that I even think about it. I have to think about it to, to think that people are HIV positive. 
it is common, obviously common, but it is not the death sentence that it was when we first started hearing about it. Correct. And now with different medications that you can take, like PrEP, the percentage of you getting it is is very slim, correct? That's correct. Still not eradicated, <clears throat> but, you know, science has come so far in, in really a short amount of time. It's pretty amazing. But I think for younger generations, it's hard to understand what it was like for the first generation of folks who had to deal with HIV and AIDS. Could you explain that? Well, at that point in time, you literally didn't want to associate with anybody else who was gay because you didn't know how the disease was transmitted. You didn't even, we didn't even know what it was. It wasn't until Dr., I guess it was Dr. Fauci, um, actually defined the uh, disease. And at that point in time, I think that was when the nomenclature AIDS came up. But before that, we were totally, you know, totally scared, totally freaked out that, you know, just by being in, say, the West Village uh, and not even touching anyone, that we might end up in the same uh, scenario because you would go to brunch one week and the next week there would be people who were there uh, the week before and they were no longer there. They'd gone home to their families and they literally died in three weeks. And these are not men who are in their 80s. These are men in their 20s. Right, in the 20s. And um, do you remember the first time you heard of this disease? Actually, I do. I was driving home, and I was in New Jersey, and I was listening to WCBS, uh, and they were talking about the gay cancer that had started to spread in the West Village. And do you remember the first time you lost a friend? That was probably in the 90s. And, uh, you know, it was, of course, a very sad time. Um, And then, of course... In the 90s was also when you started to see uh, potential uh, medications that would would you know, mitigate uh, the disease and in some case you know, stop its progression. How do you keep going? How do you keep being motivated by doing all the work? Well, there's a couple of things. I think the most important thing is is that this is written in some of the biographies that were written various, for various uh, organizations, but I thought it was important to remember the people who did not, you know, come forward into this generation with me. And the best way that I thought that I could do that would be to work with organizations who had some impact on reducing HIV um, and reducing the stigma of HIV. So my first efforts were, for example, with organizations like the DC Center HIV Working Group. And then one of the reasons that I work for the Cherry Fund, and I'm a board member there, is because the Cherry Fund focuses on um, HIV and mental health. My goals, my focus, are to work with organizations that literally focus on the thing that I saw happen to the generations that I came from. Then the flip side, of course, is that for whatever particular reason, I didn't seem to grow older like many of the people mm-hmm. in my generation. I got that. I, I understand that. Um, you know, I have a great personal trainer, and uh, I made it through uh, 50, 62-pound kettlebell squats the other day. Oh, my God, Alan. Um, <laughs> now I know why you, how you can lift all those chairs when you're helping uh, uh, unload uh, different events. Yeah, but, but the point is that, you know, um, I guess I look at it this way. You know, God gave me certain abilities, and he allowed me to come through and, and be who I am today. 
But in return for that, you know, I owe other people the use of those abilities to help them. And as I've written many times, the most important thing to me is to help other people, and especially some of the younger people in the LGBTQ community because they don't have the life experiences that I've had. But on the other hand, maybe I can sort of, you know, extend my arm out and let them grab onto it and help them over a, a difficult period. And to me, that's very important because helping other people makes me feel great. And I think I'm the greatest beneficiary of it. That is a great way to look at it. And it's, you know, almost like uh, it's better to give than to receive. And that's true. We'll see the light on somebody's face when they open a gift from you or if you help them, it makes your soul feel better. Again, and I, and I know it will be embarrassing to you that I heap this praise to you uh, for all the stuff that you do. But you just mentioned um, you mentor younger folks. And each generation um, looks at the generation younger than them. They're living too dangerously. They're not doing the right things. They're, you know, and then they feel like you're almost saying, get off my lawn. But what advice do you give young people? The advice that I would give young people is remember the age that you're at and remember that you're going to run into situations that you don't have the experience to handle yet. You will someday. But in the meantime, you know, remember that some of your peers have additional experiences that can help you and reach out to them, reach out to people like me. We're there to help you. The most important thing to me is my reputation. And, you know, if you want to go back and look at my reputation and, and see, you know, how I interact with other people. Um, as long as I can help people, as long as I can see successes for people, um, I'm particularly pleased. I had a young friend who actually kind of met at Miss Adams Morgan. He was 18 at the time, and you know, he'd just been kicked out of his parents' house because he's gay. And so I tried to you know, help him out and got him a job over, helped get him a job over town. So he kind of got an introduction to the, uh, the community and uh, watched him graduate from Georgetown University, and now he's... Uh, Stanford University on a uh, Stanford Law School on a full scholarship. You have to be so proud of that kid. Oh, I am. Absolutely. I can see your face is glowing from it. So often you hear in our community that the parents, as you mentioned, as that poor kid kicked him out of the house because he's gay. Those people, men, women, trans, they need help and they do need a shoulder to lean on. You see it too often. You know, that these poor kids, I, I don't know how a parent kicks their kid out of the house. I don't know how they do that and just throw, throw them on the street. But thank God for the Trevor Project also for that. When you first moved to D.C., how has the city changed from then to now? Uh, I think it's more accepting. I think that one of the things that, and you know, it was always fairly accepting of the gay community and lesbian community. But I think it's becoming little by little more accepting of the transgender community. Um, one of the, speaking of other people I've worked with, an individual who happens to be a trans man. Didn't know for two years that the young guy was trans. But the reality is, is that, you know, in, in essence, that didn't matter much. I want to make sure that uh, nothing happens to him. We are both friends with the same person who I care for deeply because they're special. Right. God bless this kid with whatever it is, that, that it thing, 
there's something about this person that is good. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about issues that the trans women have. And, for example, the fact that a number of them have been murdered. What we don't talk about, which I think sometimes bears a little bit more attention, is the trans men and making sure that they're kept from harm. Because ultimately the same scenario will happen at either end. And so I I tend to look out a little bit more for my friends who are members of the transgender community. And I do so because at some point I know they're going to run up against, you know, some fairly intolerant people. And the intolerant people, whether they're trans men or trans women, will treat them in a very similar fashion. And it gets to be pretty ugly. And so you have to, you know, you have to reach out a little bit more than you would because that's important. I mean, even, even at Cherry, for example, we're, we're devoting more of our resources to the transgender community than we did before. And we're trying, you know, Cherry is, of course, um, a way of generating a lot of money for the LGBT community. We, you know, we gave over $100,000 back last year. Um, and that was from $35,000 when I first started. Or 17, 35, 51, and, and 100. We should mention for the, those who don't know, Cherry is uh, happens over the um, Cherry Blossom Festival uh, around that time, and there are parties that go on all weekend long. Mm-hmm. That's a fair, fair set. Yes, one line description. Okay, you know it's the only board that I'm a member of. I'm the head of safety and security for uh, Cherry, but again, it's my way of because Cherry's focus is on HIV and mental health. It's my way of kind of fulfilling the commitment I made to, partic- to help that particular segment of community. And, you know, I've had, some, I've had some differences of opinion with some of the people around here. I want to, you know, I've, I've always said that um, HIV, for example, and mental health cover the whole LGBTQ community. Uh, and those are, you know, regardless of what letter you fall under, you can potentially be affected by HIV. Uh, and so I worked a lot with uh, well, the then chairman of the uh, um, HIV working group, who's also a great person. And I don't know if I can mention can I mention him? Sure, sure. Okay, well, Jamie Brill is just one of the most awesome people that I've ever worked with. Jamie was the chair of the HIV working group at the D.C. Center, and he supported uh, having a separate table uh, at Capital Trans Pride, strictly for interacting with the transgender community and, you know, passing out information about HIV. So, you know, I'm, Jamie is just like, he's one of the people that I really look up to in the community, and I think he's just awesome. Well, I will have to meet uh, Jamie. That sounds great. The first time I met you, um, it was at a uh, Nova Pride Festival. And you were working security. And I said, hi, hi. And then the next time I saw you was at a Capital Pride event. I said to, I think Brian Reitz, the president of Nova Pride, I said, who's that man? And he said, that's Alan, a very good man. Is there a better way to be described than that, Alan? A very good man. And so I hope you know that that's how everybody thinks about you. Um, This uh, year... You were, you were given a, uh, an award by uh, Capital Pride, correct? 
Well, by Capital Pride, also by the Imperial Court. And tell us what that award was. Well, the Capital Pride Award was the Billy Miles Award for community service. And uh, there was a recognition of, you know, the kind of community service that uh, uh, I'd been uh, involved in. And the same thing was true with the Imperial Court. And I was quite surprised and honored by both of them and very grateful uh, for them because, you know, sometimes when you tend to go in and volunteer, it's like, you know, you put blinders on and mm-hmm. you just kind of go ahead. You don't really assume that other people know what you're doing or recognize what you're doing. And eventually it comes back and people say, yeah, well, we, we saw it and we appreciate it. Have you been in love, Alan? Yeah, I have. Never quite worked out, but I have. Love is a funny thing. It can be the greatest thing in the world or it can be the absolute worst thing in the world. I talk to so many people in their 20s and they're like, oh my God, I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to meet the right person. And I'm like, it took me 40 years. I would rather be, I'd rather wait and find the right person than be miserable in so many of these relationships that you see. When you came out to your family, how did that go? Uh, it was kind of interesting. So, you know, my mother, well, because she was the only one, she's the only one who was alive at the time. She said, well, um, yeah, I kind of guess that was the case. And that was it? Pretty much. Oh, that's nice. I mean, isn't that amazing that uh, to hear that, and then you hear somebody who just came out last week and the parents are going crazy. It's like, my, when was your mom born? And that, that right. year, and she's like, oh, accepting then and now. What mistakes do you see in our community? What mistakes are we making? I think that the sometimes there's a, there's a tendency to isolate yourself in, you know, just one niche mm-hmm. uh, and say, I'm, you know, whatever I am, and I really don't care about the rest of every, everything else. And the reality is, is that the community doesn't work unless it becomes a whole. Uh, you know, people say, well, I'm focused on this. Well, yeah, but, you know, if you're focused on this, what about the two gay guys that got assaulted on U Street? You know, you have contacts in the community there that you could probably come up with, you know, some information that might help, you know, mitigate that. But, you know, don't focus over here solely and ignore what you can do to help other segments. Um, the trans community, obviously, we all know the horror that is still going on, the murders. I was talking to Sheila Alexander-Reed, um, who I love, who works for the mayor's uh, LGBTQ um, reach-out group, uh, or committee, rather. And she was saying that that was her number one concern about our community, is the safety of trans folks. And anything that you could do or any way you can volunteer to help them, they definitely need it. And the safety, you know, in 2020, it's, a, it's heartbreaking that that's still a concern in our community for not only trans members, but that's a, um, especially African-American trans uh, women. That's really scary still in uh, 2020. And I would agree. I don't know if you uh, had the opportunity. I went over to uh, when they had the um, community meeting with uh, Ruby and Brett Parson. Uh, that was a very interesting, eye-opening time and you know i love ruby i think she's awesome and just listening to her and brett and the interactions uh, of 
them together and listening to some of the concerns of the trans community. Um, you know, I've had the opportunity to volunteer on a number of their events, and what was kind of interesting is when I first started working with the trans community, there were 100 people who went to Capital Trans Pride. Mm-hmm. And finally, I guess a couple of years ago, I stopped volunteering there, and everybody said, why did you stop volunteering at Capital Trans Pride? I said, because there were enough members of the community to be self-supporting. Mm-hmm. And I said, once you get to that critical mass, then merely attending the event and showing that kind of support. But, you know, you don't need me to sit, sit behind a table anymore because you have, you know, the, the people that are willing to mm-hmm. be part of the community. I think that's kind of awesome the way that's come. Alan, there are people who are listening right now who want to volunteer who care. They may even be not gay or lesbian themselves, trans. They may be the parent or the brother, the sister of somebody who is. What is the best way to start volunteering? Start giving your time. I would certainly reach out to one of the organizations. I would reach out to, you know, if I were here, for example, I'd reach out to Capital Pride. And, you know, Chelsea Bland is the uh, volunteer coordinator of Capital Pride. I would reach out to Cherry, the Cherry Fund. And, uh, you know, uh, the Cherry Fund isn't always in need of volunteers. And then, uh, I don't know if you're aware of the fact, but I'm also a member of the Heritage of Pride in New York City. I am not, but I think it might be easier, Alan, for you to say what you're not involved in, what <laughs> charity you're not helping. You know, for example, if you happen to be around New York City, New York City Pride, which is the Heritage of Pride, likewise, you know, needs volunteers. I worked on Baltimore Pride last year. Baltimore Pride needs volunteers. The thing is, once you start working on events like this, you now have the ability to network with other people. Yes. Yeah, that's the most important thing is because you will establish a reputation and, and you and you really need to concentrate on establishing a reputation because you want people to request you. Well, I want to say this to you, Alan. Any organization that you help that needs a host, MC, somebody to load chairs, unload chairs, empty trash cans. If I am free, I am more than willing to do whatever I can um, to help. Because it's something I'm passionate about. And if you ever need anything, I hope you know that, like you, I will not say no. I understand. What are you most proud of, Alan? I'll, I'll step back from you know, community service to just something that, uh, really, really is probably like the key event in my life. And, it's you know, most people would look at it and say, well, why is that so key? Uh, the first year I worked on New York City Pride, I was a volunteer and, you know, we were helping organize uh, people on East 41st Street. And the time came for our contingent to turn and walk down Fifth Avenue. And all of a sudden I had this really shocking revelation as I was walking down Fifth Avenue that, you know, I'd come full circle. I come from the kid who showed up, you know, four months before Stonewall to somebody who could walk down Fifth Avenue and say Happy Pride as an openly gay man in the same city. Does it get better than that? I was thrilled and, you know, I was grateful for the opportunity. But the opportunity, as I've oftentimes said, you know, when you participate in an opportunity, the opportunities will oftentimes come back and they will help you. They will fill parts of your life that otherwise would be void. Alan, um, you mentioned Stonewall. Do you remember that happening? I remember hearing about it. I was actually in New York about four months before Stonewall. I'd just kind of like shown up as a young kid. 
like totally overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Where are you from? I'm from just outside Detroit. I noticed that our community is can be tough on each other. For example, Pete Buttigieg. There's a group of our community that really he could if he walked on water tomorrow, as members of our community would say, "Look, Pete Buttigieg can't swim." I mean, they are really angry at him, and I don't get why they're angry at him. And I'm not saying people should vote for him or not vote for him. I'm just glad he's in the conversation because he's representing all of us. Do you know why? I'd be willing to take a guess. And why is that? Stab at this one. Um, in any organization, you have people who tend to walk down the center of the road, and that's more like Pete. And you have people who tend to walk down either side. And oftentimes, the people who are loudest walk down either side rather than down the center. And they feel, this is you know my take mm-hmm. on life. Uh, they feel that you know, the representation that they're getting should be more uh, loud, more uh, driven, more focused. And the reality is is that if you go back and you look at people who win, uh, I remember a phrase somebody came up with. They said, it's the economy, stupid. Yes. You know, to everybody in the community, I'd say, look, folks, you know, the most important thing is that we're there to support each other. You know, we may not, you know, have the most brilliant costumes, brilliant dress. We may not have the most, you know, huge vocabulary. But if you're down on your luck, if you need some help, um, if you need a job, if you need to be, you know, you need counseling, that's, those are the people that we need to be there for. And, you know, if you have fun on a big gay gala event, mm-hmm. Wonderful. But don't forget, kind of thinking a couple of years ago, up to uh, Pride in New York, this is actually before I worked on it, that you had the dance on the pier. And on the next pier, you had people who couldn't afford to go to the dance on the pier. And we need to remember in the community that while there's a large number of us who, you know, financially don't really have a huge issue, they're an even larger number who are here and who don't have the resources to take care of themselves. Um, that's why when we have organizations like, you know, Casa Ruby or Wanda Alston, that can pick up, you know, people who would otherwise be out on the street and take care of them and get them to a point in their lives where they can actually uh, manage someone on their own. That's what Pete is doing. That's what Ruby's doing. That's what Wanda Alston's doing. And yes, it may not be the most popular thing in the world because there's not a lot of pizzazz to it. Yeah. It's just pretty much hard grunt work. But it's from the hard grunt work that you'll have the great leaders emerge, that you'll have the people who can support the rest of the community. I always wondered if Pete admitted that he had a harness, would a lot of people like him better in our community? <laughs> They might. (laughs) But, you know, the reality is, is that, as somebody said, it's not the harness, it's the economy. (laughs) Yeah. I love Alan. I love Alan. Thank you so much. You're the best. I appreciate everything you do for our community. And there's times I look at you and I feel bad about myself because I haven't done enough. And you are a motivator to do more. So thank you. 
Um, thank you for listening this week to Out With Jimmy, and I want to thank you for listening and thank you for uh, telling your friends and family about it. Again, go to Apple Podcasts, click subscribe uh, while you're there. Thank you very much, and thank you to WTOP and Julia Ziegler for allowing us to record in their beautiful studios here in the Glass Enclosed Nerve Center. And remember, you'll never know when the last time you'll be able to tell somebody you love them, so go ahead and do it.